All right. Fun jury, y'all. And welcome to the Who Else podcast with Nick and Chase. Hey. We guide y'all through the wild and sometimes wacky world of psychology and psychotherapy and how it applies to you and us and the world around us and maybe the universe. We're not sure yet. <laughs> if there's aliens, do you think aliens have psychological problems? It's possible. Uh, so this is the first episode of season one where we're going to get down to the brass tacks of therapy. What is therapy? How is it done? What is a therapist? What is a patient? What is a brain? And other things of that nature. But today's episode is what is therapy? Let's can I start answer, off. Hey, can, I, can I answer something really quick? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Now, you might be asking yourself, why should I listen to these guys? What do they have to offer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can type in therapy podcast, therapy YouTube channel, and get so many options. Mm-hmm. However, you will not get these two guys no, talking no, about serious shit and fun shit. So that's right. Just look at let me hear. Look our voices, our smiles. Who'd want to go anywhere else? We're amazing. Nick, do you want to do a quick introduction of who you, who you are as a yeah, person? Absolutely. So, Nick, obviously, I am a licensed psychotherapist here in Los Angeles, California. I do not specialize in a specific population or niche of people. However, that will soon change, either helping mental health professionals with coming and seeking help where they might not otherwise be able or feel they are able to, or working with gay men and couples. And my my area of focus and what I really am passionate about is helping people get underneath the surface as to what's going on and to help you understand why it is important to talk about our childhood and our relationships with our parents. It is pivotal. So if you're one of those people, it's like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about now. Contact me and I'll tell you why that is not the <laughs> Yeah, talk about your parents. Your parents suck. The best, they did the best they could. In this case. Yeah, they did the best they could. Or not. Great. Chase, uh, what about you, sir? Who are you and what do you do? I, I am the I'm the official Chase Fonsi. There can only be one. I'm, I'm a man with problems. <laughs> Lots of problems? I'm, I'm a man with mental health problems. I know, I know that to be true. So to my, my background is in product and technology and finance and economics and art and consumer goods and other things. I've done many things in my life, but I, I, I came to this endeavor as a, as a very close friend of, of Nick here, the, the one and only. I have a very deep fascination with the mind, basically in every field I've ever worked in. You cannot escape people's problems, people's mental health problems and mental health problems that exist throughout, you know, cultures and societies. I mean, I grew up in a culture that didn't talk a lot about mental health and I had to discover it later on in my life when I came upon other cultures that were a lot more comfortable talking about it. And that took me in through a deep dive when I took my first class on psychology in college, my professor said on the first day, he said, okay, so for all of you that have never looked into this topic, I want you to know that taking this course is going to forever change your life. 
because once you start thinking about how the mind works, you'll never stop thinking about it. And that, and that's very true. And that's kind of uh, where I found myself today. I've been in therapy for many moons now and will probably continue to go, especially if I keep dating. I, I will definitely continue <laughs> to be in therapy, but, I, yeah, but that, that's me. I want to add, and we'll get to this in the myths <laughs> later on. To clarify for people, Chase was not a client of mine. No. <laughs> not or a client. A lover. Right. We met through a Bumble BFF app and have become friends ever since. So I, we had a really great connection and I told him about my podcast that I wanted to develop and he was super excited about it. And one day I was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to actually work with me on my podcast? And I am forever grateful for what you're able to bring to it because both of us obviously bring our specialties to it to make this podcast happen so here we are everybody and you are in for a ride You're of your ride. emotions get ready the, the best time of your life all right so so let, let's let's jump into it let's jump into it. what what is what is therapy well according to our best friend miriam webster i think miriam's her first name I'm not sure. Why? Why? I, I should ask her. But why is she our best friend? Why isn't Google our best friend? Because you don't trust what's on Google. There's I mean, <laughs> stuff on there. I mean, why are we not looking at the DSM for the definition of therapy? <laughs> no one. That thing's too long. <laughs> we. Don't, I don't even open it. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. What is a DSM? Is that like is that like a new Instagram thing? Slide yeah, into your DSM. It's uh, this, this Bible in therapy and psychiatry, <laughs> in psychology, where we, you tell us you're sad, we go to this thing and sadness, and then it gives you a list of disorder. No, that's not what happens. It's, sadness. It's a list that's of- it. That's all it says. It's, a, it's, our, it's our, basically our diagnostic manual. So <clears throat> how we diagnose. And diagnosis is not always a bad thing. It just helps your therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist help develop a treatment plan to help you. So when they pull out a book, it's a good thing because it helps. So, yeah. How long is the DSM? It's pretty lengthy. I should have it. That's what she said. <laughs> or he said. Or he said. Or, he said. or they said. Let's or not they said. Anyone can say it. Exactly. So, so go on. So on. Sorry. Sorry for interrupting you with my. No, I appreciate it. It was very helpful. <laughs> Don't ever interrupt me again. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're welcome. <laughs> so according, according to Miriam Webster, psychotherapy is a collaborative treatment based on the relationship between an individual and a therapist aimed at relieving emotional distress and mental health problems. While most therapy focuses on the individual, like a therapist and the person talking to them. It could also be done in groups, like uh, couples, like marriage counseling, like your parents should have gone to, or families, family counseling, like your entire family should go to you and your horrible sister, whoever she is, or groups, like all your coworkers, you and your coworkers should probably go to therapy because you're all probably nuts. That's, that's the official, that's the official definition, according to dictionaries wide and far. Does that sound like an accurate definition to you, Mr. DSM? I mean, 
that's like the the literal definition of it, right? So all of that does sound accurate, but I want to add in there when we look at therapy, what most people think of when therapy comes to mind is I'm going to go sit in a room and it's going to be me and a therapist. I'm not going to be able to escape. It's going to be horrible, especially if I've never been to therapy before. And they're going to ask me to talk about all of my secrets and all of that. But what therapy really is, is for people, we like for them to come voluntarily because then there's really more of a buy-in for therapy. Sometimes people are forced to go for whatever reason, whether it's for school issues, work-related issues, legal issues, or whatever. But the basic point is you come to therapy, you're struggling with something, or someone tells you you're struggling with something, and the therapist is there to hear you and listen and basically reflect back to you, mirror back to you what they hear from you or what they're seeing from you. And kind of help you navigate through those thoughts and feelings, which are contributing to a lot of that distress. So, so what, what, what does, what does a therapy session look like? Let's say it's my first day. It's my first, my first day at school, therapy school, therapy okay. land, therapy okay. place. And I'm like, all right, you're my therapist. Let me lay down on this couch. And then you can, I'm going to tell you about how my mom's horrid. And you're going to tell me that I'm a perfect person and then I get to leave and then that's it. Right. That's how it works. That's <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, exactly how it works. Yeah. Nice. My clients come in, they, they lay on my couch and I tell them how amazing they are. You're you ask not... them to take their shoes off first. <laughs> no yeah. shoes on the couch. You're not wrong. You're right. All those people are wrong. Like that's an experience I had, which we'll get into later. But so I think for, for everybody listening, I think people, a lot of people, it's a mixed bag, right? People have had therapy, people have not had therapy. And, you know, people that have had therapy, I think sometimes don't have the greatest experience and whether that's because of the actual circumstances that are happening in the therapy room or whether that's because of their perception of what should be happening. And that's not what they got. Right. Or people that have not had therapy see these images of what it's like on TV from their friends and they're like, nope. Or it's also cultural, right? Like cultural ideals and things like that also contribute to why somebody might not want to go to therapy or feel that it's beneficial. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> a basic initial therapy session looks like after you've contacted the therapist, after you've done all of the back and forth, you know, setting up the time, arranging a fee, that's important setting the fee and also kind of filling out the questionnaire so a lot of therapists will either have you do it online or they'll email you you know these forms where the basic idea is you're giving a history of your personal life your medical history your relationship history your family history and medical history in order for the therapist to get a comprehensive view of what it is that's happening in your life that may be contributing to a lot of these these issues mm -hmm. so you come in after you and the therapist have talked about what it is that you're seeking therapy for a lot of times people think this is what i'm seeking therapy for but after the first session once someone starts talking then a lot of times in my experience what happens is oh my gosh like i didn't know all of that was going to come out because i think a lot of times we either suppress so we intentionally stuff things down and forget about them or they're repressed which is when people kind of are unable to cope or they and they forget about things the mind just like shoves it away 
And so you'll have people come into therapy and they'll be like, oh my God, like I'm having this memory that I don't even remember having. And so <clears throat> there's different explanations for that, but that indicates a repressed memory. And so the first therapy session is basically the therapist developing a rapport with you, getting a history of you, kind of helping you kind of immediately cope with things. So if you come in, you're very anxious, you're very depressed. That first session is to build that relationship, start building a sense of trust so that you can come in and feel better in the moment so that you can leave and then hopefully want to come back. So that's kind of what happens during the first session. So how, how long does it take for someone to be like, I like this person. I want to tell that like in your first therapy session, do you start telling your story? Like how deep, how deep do you usually like to go with it? with a client in their first session where it's like, let me just get the lay of the land. Tell me what you're currently feeling. Mm -hmm. We'll explore things on a very surface level. I just want to get an idea of where you're at. And then you kind of wait until further sessions before you start getting in deeper. Or do you try to establish something, you know, impactful in the first session? So that varies by therapists. Some therapists like to go very slow in starting to really get deep. A lot of therapists, depending also on the type of therapy that the therapist feels is appropriate for this client. Mm -hmm. If a therapist feels that a client is very, has difficulty delaying gratification, mm -hmm. then the client is going to come in and they're going to be like, I want to do the work right now, right now, right now, right now. And so right. what that should signal to the therapist is, okay. We need to slow it down so that this person can start to develop a sense of being able to delay that need to get it now. And I think we're seeing that in more recent generations, as well as just in our society, we want things now and we have technology to get now. And so I want something now. And so usually in my, with, when I worked with adolescents and children in a residential treatment facility with severe emotional disorders that were self-harming, that were attempting suicide, that was one thing they were like, I, don't know how to deal with this anxiety right now. And it's so overwhelming. And so they, because they're so used to getting everything now and I want it to go away right now, that they aren't equipped with the skills to be like, cool, I'm feeling anxious. Let me go outside for a walk. Like they don't have that because in their mind, they're like, I need to get rid of this or I'm not gonna be able to survive right now. Right. And so in that situation, a therapist will prolong the actual work, but still give the person a little bit of like, breadcrumb as to cool like try this oh my god that worked cool like now let's develop some coping skills so that we can get you to the point where we can talk about what's really going on right um, right so for me that's always in the back of my mind also i feel like in my experience with therapy i used to hate <clears throat> forking out money and I think it was different also because I'm a therapist. So I kind of knew what I like, what I was bringing to the table insight, but I used to hate like spending like the two to three months feeling like I'm anywhere near getting to the point of getting any work done. Like I, here's my issue. You've agreed that that's an issue. So I understand the importance of having history, but like, why are we not doing stuff? So in my, my, my technique is to kind of incorporate all of it to kind of like go along as we go and 
you're giving me stuff, but what I'm going to do in 10 sessions, when you tell me, oh, like, I don't know why, like, I'm dating somebody. And again, it's a failed relationship. Well, you told me three sessions ago that when you were younger, your mom or your dad didn't really pay attention to you that much. So do you think maybe this continued repetition of these patterns is a reflection of that? And so I think when that continues to happen over and over and over again, I think the client is like, oh my God, this person has listened to me. Oh my gosh, like, that's amazing. Yeah, you're right, I forgot about that. And then like a year from now, when you're like, hey, do you remember that second session when we talked about da 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 and they're like, I have a client. And he was like, I don't know how you remember this stuff. I'm like, I don't either because I've seen how many people, I don't know how I remember either, but it's, that's those moments that build that trust, right? And like Brene Brown says, there's these marble jar moments where trust is built in small increments, right? So I think it all depends on the style of the therapist. I'm more of like a hands-on, aggressive, assertive type therapist. So I like to help get people to a point where they feel like they're getting work done. And then we start really exploring what needs to be done. So that's my approach. Nice. And it, that kind of takes us to one of the common myths about therapy, probably like the, one, of, one of the most common myths about therapy, which is that all it is, is me going and talking to someone and them listening and interjecting here and there. And then that's it. And I think that's, that's you know, that's part of the reason why people don't want to go to therapy at all. They're like, oh, what's the point of this? So mm -hmm. I can go and just tell someone my problems. I can tell them to myself. I know my, what my problems are, right. but that's not true. That's not true. Going to psychotherapy is very similar to going to see a personal trainer for your fitness. You know, your first time going to a personal trainer, you're not going to walk out of that session jacked with a six with six pack abs it's not happening right now you got to go in there and they're like okay what what's your goal all right step on the scale let's see where you're at let's do some measurements let's do some stretches let me see how your body moves let me see well let me see where you're at then we'll come up with a plan and then you're gonna you're gonna follow this plan mm -hmm. and then you're gonna we're gonna test things out we're gonna change the strategies as, as we move along yeah. and that, that is really, for me, that's really been where therapy has been very helpful. But, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a myth. It's a common myth that all therapy is, it's just talking. And that's right. just not the case. So to add to that, to help dispel that myth, therapy can be just talking and that's what it originated as talk therapy with Freud, but over time it has evolved. So you have different types of therapy. So you have experiential type therapies where like, this is really prevalent in treatment centers. This is really prevalent in school settings where if, if my client, if we're not able to get into a room, like I remember working at a treatment center, my first, my first internship position and we had such little space to do therapy because there were just so many clients and so many therapists that we had to go and go literally to the corner of the street and do therapy. Like, and of course, obviously there's confidentiality issues that are related to that, but the the client has to agree to that. But of course. like, if I need to like, if I need to see my client 
And sometimes I feel like this client can't sit in a room, whether it's PTSD or whether they're just so anxious that they cannot just sit in this room. They have trust issues. They just have issues being indoors. Like I need to take them on a walk to get them grounded in order for them to be able to feel like they can at least talk about something, right? Because all they're focusing on in that room is how anxious they are, how depressed they are, how horrible life is. And so sometimes it requires the therapist to be a little bit flexible in how they approach that therapy. So that's experiential type therapy. There's also like we talked about earlier group therapy, where a lot of times when I facilitate groups, I'm just sitting back observing and kind of like intervening when I need to. Group therapy is where people go and there's a sense of community, a sense of connection where people are like, oh my God, you do that too. I thought I was the only one that that woke up in the middle of the night and ate cotton balls. Like, oh my God, you do that too? <laughs> the, it's a thing. But we don't um, suggest that. Don't eat cotton balls. <laughs> if you do, it is not, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just something that to work through. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You are also a stuffed animal. Like <laughs> Some people do struggle with eating cotton balls, but I know, I know. everything, uh, but a lot of times, and I think we, maybe we should add into this, the point of this podcast, I think what we've discussed is to come together, tell people from different backgrounds or different walks of life, come together on a common issue where they may have different thoughts and opinions about something in order for someone to like be in an environment, be in a situation where they're like, let me sit down and hear your side of this story. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's interesting. I can now think of it a different way. I hear you. I now hear where I'm coming from and I might be actually a little bit misguided in where I'm coming from as well. So right. bringing people together in order to have a sense of connection and unity, which is what we are all craving. Like we, we need that sense of connection and that, that sense of community with people because it's just one of our innately human needs. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, so when you go to a therapist, like you're going to get work done with a therapist because in that room, you're telling that therapist, once you've developed that sense of trust, your deepest secrets that you don't even tell yourself, like, I'll be reflecting back to a client and they'll be like, I never said that. <laughs> and I said, well, you did say that I have it written down right here, but, or you just said that. And they're like, I don't even remember saying that. Have I said that before? Yeah. You say that quite often, man. Like, I don't even know what I'm saying that. So when people don't even know what they're telling themselves, like it's, it's, how are they, saying? Yeah, how are they going to even feel comfortable telling the therapist? And so, when they feel comfortable enough to go to the group therapy process, there's sometimes more of an impact because other people who are my peers get it and they've tried these things. Whereas the therapist, oh my God, he's just like this like person who's like all high and mighty on his chair over there. He's sitting behind me on his on his chair while I'm laying on this couch. Like he's probably like scribbling on my on his notepad. Oh my God, I can hear him scribbling and circling. What is he writing? He doesn't know what he's talking about. So group therapy sometimes is more beneficial for somebody that has right. struggles with things like that. So, so yeah. Well, that, that, that is the thing. Like in order for therapy to be useful, yeah, it is, it is talking. There is a lot of talking. You know, the human mind, <laughs> what, what are thoughts, right? 
Throughout the day, you're always thinking. One of the most annoying things, one of the things I hate the most is when I ask someone, hey, what are you thinking? And they say, nothing. I'm like, what are you, dead? <laughs> you're either dead or a psychopath who doesn't think. But everyone's thinking all the time and our thoughts are us talking to ourselves. So throughout the day, throughout your life, you have kind of been your own therapist. Something happens, you think, and your thoughts reinforce whatever it is that you believe, and then you just continue on. So throughout your life, you are your, you're kind of your own therapist and you're kind of doing the work, but you're most likely doing the wrong work because you're talking to yourself and that's not very helpful. We're humans. We're not independent creatures as much as everyone wants to think. I'm so independent. I could do everything by myself. Lies, lies, fake news. You have to, you have to get your thoughts out there and discuss them with other people. And for a lot of us, we're not doing that with our social circles so much anymore. You know, there's been a bit of a breakdown in people being able to talk about their problems open and honestly with their family or with their friends. You know, a lot of us have much looser social connections than previous generations may have had, or, you know, some cultures have much stronger social connections than, than us Americans do. So, so that part of therapy, the talking part is very beneficial. You know, there, there's the need for you to feel comfortable with your therapist so that you can speak honestly. Yeah, as Nick mentioned, there's a lot of things in your head that influence your thoughts and your behavior that you don't even want to confess to yourself. Maybe you haven't thought about it deeply enough as opposed to like you're lying to yourself or something, but there, there are things where either you haven't thought about it deeply enough because your pre, your presupposition is that there's nothing there to go deep about, or, you know, you're lying to yourself about something where it's like, I know this is probably bad for me. I know this behavior that I have, this reaction that I have, this relationship that I'm in, et cetera. I know these things are bad for me, but I'm just going to self-rationalize them. And self-rationalization is so easy. It's so convincing, Definitely. but as soon as you start to talk about it with someone else, they're not going to let you get away with it. Uh, as long as that person is being honest, like a therapist, um, should be and not in a judgmental way. Of course, therapists are not there to be judgmental, but they're there to listen to you and provide you with guidance and, and help you to see your own truth and to recognize it. Right. Going, going off of what you just mentioned in a non-judgmental manner is where a lot of people, this, like the textbook definition of, to go with the textbook definition of therapy, it's a therapist is someone that's providing someone navigation through their struggles in a non-judgmental manner. And I think maybe what, how it should be revamped is an unbiased manner. Like 
therapists have to judge your decisions in order to see what you're doing and where you're going wrong or where you think you're going wrong. So if a therapist, if you've been in a therapy session and you feel you've been judged by your therapist, I think it's all in the tone. I think the tone is where we don't pay attention, right? And so if someone is in the therapy session and they're like, yeah, like I'll give an example. My therapist that I worked with years ago, I missed a session because after I thought about it, few months later, I missed the session because we were talking about things related to my dad and I missed therapy one night and she called me, didn't answer. And so she emailed me and told me in the email, very just standard email. There's no tone indicated. Like I imply the tone based on how I want to view the world, based on how I want to support my, my thoughts and beliefs. And the email said something like Nicholas, I'm just contacting you to, you know, to find out if everything is okay. This is unlike you. And when I heard this is unlike you, I was like, oh, I, I had a, I had an internal response. And so right. she continued to go on. And so I was, a, I was super upset about it because she was calling me out on my avoidance. And so when I talked to my sister about it, my sister read the email. She's like, I don't see anything wrong with this. And I said, you don't say anything wrong with it. I go, I'm going to fire my therapist. And she said, you're going to fire your therapist. You're doing such great work. And I said, no, like, did you not hear her say that? She's like, hear her. She wrote this. And I said, okay. So I finally decided to go back to my therapist and confront her. And cause that's huge. Like when you are able to finally confront your therapist about something that you picked up on or that you thought was happening, that's mm-hmm. huge. That indicates a huge sense of rapport, right? And also a lot of times people are afraid of confronting people that they've had an interaction with because for whatever reason, anxiety, depression, consequences, whatever it is. And so she started session out, not with, I was expecting to like go right into that. So she started session, like a normal session before session ended. She said, let's talk about what happened between us. I said, yeah, let's talk about that. I said, I honestly was going to come in here and fire you. And she said, you were going to fire me. I said, yeah, I missed therapy and I didn't like what you, what you wrote in the email. I go, I heard you. She's like, I'm going to stop you right there. She said, you heard me. She said, what did I tell you when you first started therapy? I said, you told me that a lot of countertransference is going to come up for me with you. And countertransference is when me as the client is, is activated by something the therapist says, does, or expresses in therapy mm-hmm. and it's not what the therapist is doing that activates us or it's not that that activates us it's the the thing that's happened now activates a reminder for us about something and so she told me i'm going to activate a lot of your issues with your father because i'm more of like an aggressive more masculine type therapist and i'm also going to activate things with your mother because obviously i am a female And I said, yeah. So the moment came where she said, do you remember what I told you? I said, yeah. And she said, what happened was you heard me like you heard one of your parents shaming you when you were little. (laughs) And I said, that's exactly what happened. And so we were able to talk through it, but that is an example of a healthy style of communication that people don't have and which leads to a lot of conflicts and a lot of like our our dysfunction in relationships. And that's one of the goals of therapy is to have one of those experiences. It's called a corrective emotional experience where you're able to talk through it and repair the relationship. Right. 
Right. Do you feel it was, what did you feel was the most challenging part? Like the first time you had one of those, because I, I've spoken to people who have gone into therapy for the first time and the first time they felt the therapist, not like call them out. I'm not entirely sure how to phrase it, but they were, they, they said, you're having this response because you are hearing these words as if they were coming from a parent or from an ex when you're reliving that and you're, you're transferring that onto this situation. And for some people that can be very uncomfortable and they're like, fuck this. I don't need this. I don't need to be talked to like this. You know, it, it speaks to the level of vulnerability that you need to come in there with, right? You see this in many types of therapies, whether it's psychotherapy or, you know, personal training, like I said, or the consulting, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I'm paying this person. They're not here to tell me I've done something wrong. They're not here to call me out about being late. They have to just do what I say because I've paid so many monies for this situation. So have you had like negative experiences with first timers? And how, how did you work through those negative experiences? Yeah, I mean, I've had them with both first timers as well as repeat offenders in therapy. High recidivism. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's the first time in therapy, what I like to do is I like to tell people when I have my consultation with them, I'm like, I am a more direct, assertive, confrontational type therapist. And I make sure to clarify confrontational because when people hear confrontation, they think horrible, they think negative, they think I have to be on the like the offensive, right? Confrontation is anytime you bring an issue, whether it's positive or negative, to the attention of somebody else, right? So I can confront you, Chase, with the fact, I like your white shirt. That's me confronting you about the fact that I like your white shirt. Mm-hmm. Now, if I told you, wow, you know, I have a real problem with your white shirt. I think it's horrible. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> like that's me confronting <laughs> you about something, but I think is an example of how it's delivered, right? Yeah. Now, if a client in therapy for the first time who's never had therapy understands that I am a confrontational type therapist, I'm a direct therapist, you agreed, you agreed, you sat there and said, that's what I need. And when it happens, a therapist will pick up on it because the client gets very uncomfortable. They get tense, they get quiet, whatever the defense mechanism is. And if the therapist does not confront that in the moment, the defense mechanisms, a person will never begin to understand how they respond to something that is completely trivial, right? Right. Right. So I could say, hey, like a client could come in first time, I could be like, wow, like I really love when my clients are on time and this person was on time. If this person has any sort of like background in people shaming them for being late, shaming them for being too early, and they hear, oh my gosh, I really like when my clients are late, thank you so much. A client will hear that and they will say, oh, so was I not late? I'm on time. Like there's a lot of things that we say in our head before it comes out of our mouth or before it is expressed from our body. 
And we'll go into this later with, with one type of therapy that identifies that. But if people aren't familiar with what is going on in their minds all the time, which contributes to feelings, they are never going to experience relief. Yeah. And if they aren't honest with their therapist, I'm guilty of it. I'm, I want to paint myself in this great picture. I'm, I'm not the one that does things wrong in relationships. No, it's the other person. Tell me what I want to hear. Like, we want to paint ourselves. It's the self-illusory context concept of I'm good. Everyone else is not as good, right? But yet we want connection, but yet we don't want to look bad. And so when I've had this happen again, like my goal is to really get like the person just like regulated again mm-hmm. in order to kind of have a conversation. I think I've had one client, like a couple of clients, maybe when I was working in recovery, like mm-hmm. leave the therapy office. But obviously in those situations, there's a lot going on, withdrawal symptoms, things like that. But my goal is to really establish, hey, this is what I'm seeing. And that's when I know, oh, maybe I need to be a little bit more gentle in my approach right now. Right. So, yeah. It's natural to have these reactions. It's pretty crucial for people to come to the realization that a lot of our behaviors, especially as we get older, we're trying to stop ourselves from feeling any weakness or pain or prevent ourselves from entering some situation that, you know, may have not gone so well in the past. There's that thing of like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that's really, it has nothing to do with like your biology. It has a lot to do with your psychology because the longer you go on in your life without analyzing what you're doing, without talking to people about what you're feeling, problems you have, you're going to continue to reinforce things. You're going to continue to build up walls. You're going to continue to reinforce your defense mechanisms and make them seem like they're justified. Just think about, take a second and think about the last time you got mad at someone irrationally, irrationally. For most of us, it's not, these experiences are not that far apart, you know, daily, every couple of days, we're getting mad at someone or something about some ridiculous thing that we probably conjured in our minds because it reminded us of something that happened in the past. You know, I had a situation yesterday while I was on my daily walk and there was a group of people sitting on a bench. I was walking past them and they started laughing. And I immediately got upset, but they weren't laughing at me. They were a group of people talking to each other, but I was a bit stressed out because I have this big project going on. So I'm a bit on edge already. So I was just going on this walk, trying to relax. And when they laughed, I immediately remembered this moment when I was in junior high, I was on the volleyball team and it was a big game and these three young ladies they were laughing at me they laughed they like yelled and and laughed at me while i was while i was playing volleyball and i never forgot it 
I never forgot that moment. But like, you know, most of the time, like, I don't think about it. But in that moment, it came back to me. And then I thought to myself, you know, there are probably times where I have lashed out unreasonably at someone because I felt like they were laughing at me. Or there have been opportunities that I've had where I was like, I don't really want to be center stage. Mm. At the time I was rationalizing, right? I wasn't like, oh, I don't want to be center stage because the last time I was center stage, I was laughed at when I was 10 years old. No, I self-rationalized it because over the past 20 years, I've created more stories about why I shouldn't do certain things. But these things exist within all of us. No Mm. one is immune. And you have to be open and honest and you need to go to therapy <laughs> to talk to somebody about what you're dealing with. This deals with another myth that we have, which is like, oh, I don't want to tell my therapist any of my secrets mm-hmm. or any of these like super embarrassing mm-hmm. things. And that, and that's just not the case. You can be honest and open with your therapist, right? You're not going to tell everyone about all of their things or are you? No, therapists don't explicitly share like so-and-so came in and they, they stepped on dog poop and then they were laughed at there. No, like we, we have to also have our outlets. And so sometimes we, we can generalize things that we've experienced, but a therapist, if a therapist can't be trusted, like that's the one person above anybody that someone is supposed to feel completely open with, right? Like we can't feel completely open with our partners. We can't feel completely open with our family members, our friends. I mean, some people can, and that's great. But I think that might indicate maybe an enmeshed boundary. So a therapist is where you go and you're like, you will not believe what happened yesterday. I was on the bus and I got an erection over some dog. Like, tell me more about my Lord. Well, you're never going to, you're never going to tell anybody that, right? I tell everyone that. I don't get erections. For I was worried about you when you told me that a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, only um, cats, kitty cats. <laughs> I like kitty cats. But um, but no, that was just like a ridiculous example. I mean, some people may experience that, but that was just to highlight to illustrate this. And if you go to your therapist and tell them, man, like I've been really struggling with this all day. I feel really embarrassed because I was on the bus and there was a dog and I got an erection. Okay. The therapist's response should be, oh, that must be really difficult. I can see how that could be embarrassing for you. As opposed to, yeah, you should be embarrassed. Oh my gosh. Like, you got an erection over a dog? That's crazy. Like, we're not going to tell anybody that. Like, <laughs> but in that situation, obviously, there's a lot of other factors that could be happening. In that moment, all the person was focused on was the dog must be the reason for the erection. What if the person's pants rubbed on their penis and they got an erection? Like there's so many other factors that we don't explore because we think we're in our heads, but a lot of people are not in their heads because they're just so zoned out. And I'm guilty of this. People will ask me, what, what are you thinking right now? I'm like, like you said earlier, I go, I'm not thinking anything. They're like, you have this look on your face. Like you're thinking something. And in those moments we are so checked out, but it's weird because we're aware of everything going on, but we are not aware of the thoughts, right? So yeah, so I think the secrets part, obviously, here you have also therapy is only for weak or crazy people. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel that that's accurate? Do you, do you agree with that? 
the the, ther the therapies for weak and crazy people. You know, I do believe that. No, I don't. <laughs> I think there. I think therapies for everyone. You know, I will say. You know, I'll start with my upbringing. So I'm 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 born and raised in New York. I am a, a Puerto Rican gentleman, Caribbean, and and in that culture, not only like in Hispanic culture, but also, yeah, I, I grew up in a lower income area. I don't know what to call it these days. I grew up in the hood. <laughs> I grew up in the hood, the hood people. And mental health problems don't exist. Not that they're not there, but you better not talk to anybody about it. You better shut your mouth. And you are not allowed to be sad in these communities because everyone is doing so poorly, you know, like income and health wise and other like trauma, you know, the, the degree of like drug abuse and sexual abuse and everything else that people are dealing with. There's not a single person in the hood that's like doing all right. So the idea of saying, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm feeling a bit sad or I feel like I have this problem and I want to talk to someone about it. Yo, people will be like, yo, you shut the fuck up, son. <laughs> you know, like you're, you, you need to be tough. You need to be a man. You need to be, you need to put your pants on and you need to go to work and you need to shut up. And I think a lot of that was that people just didn't want, they didn't want to accept that mental health is something that affects everyone that like physical health, it can waver. You can get sick sometimes. Sometimes you catch a cold. It doesn't mean you don't have muscles and you're not strong, but you know, we all, we all have, we all have issues okay. like that. And from growing up in that environment for a lot of my developing years, you know, from birth until really like my mid twenties, I carried that with me. I was like, no, nah, I'm not. If I ever felt sad, I was like, I'm I, I'm I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna get through this. You know, there's a phrase that's often said, which is just like, people ain't shit, which is just like, if you feel sad, it's because someone else did something to you and, and all you have to do is like kick people out of your life, you know, and just be strong and just forget about it. Don't think about it. And, that, and that's how you solve your mental health problems. And people who do have mental health problems, who do need to go see a therapist, the belief is that, well, they're crazy. Mm -hmm. Homeless people need therapy. Criminals need therapy, not criminals who are doing the same crimes as myself but right. Right. Uh, other people like mass murderers those people need to go to therapy not the rest of us normal people who are just going about our daily lives and that's not that's not true that's one thing right there going off of that that i would hear all the time or that i still hear with clients is mm, i feel like i'm wasting your time because there are other people with way more problems than i have or I don't need to be here because mine problems aren't as bad as theirs. Like, oh my gosh, like these people are sticking needles in their necks. I'm only smoking marijuana. Like we do a lot of justification and rationalizing like you've talked about in order to keep ourselves in a place of comfort. And whether that comfort from the outside looking in is completely chaotic, it's what we know 
And moving outside of that is just too much work and too uncomfortable. So we stay in the dysfunction and we make ourselves, we pretend that we are okay. And we think everything else is everybody else's problem, but it's because our mind does not like to be in a state of discomfort and it gets used to being in whatever it's gotten used to being in. And so to move from that place of comfort to discomfort, not going to happen. And so that's when the defense mechanisms come up. So when I'm confront, when a client comes in, they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm here for drug addiction. And then they start hearing, oh my God, these people put needles in their arms. Oh my gosh, I have to be around these people. Oh my God, I only smoke marijuana. What that is saying is I want to keep smoking marijuana because it's comfortable. And I'm going to tell myself that these people have other problems worse than me to get myself out of having to do work to be uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. So, but we have to be strong. And in the end, this is what therapy is all about. Even if you're in amazing shape, we all want to be fit, right? We all want to look good. We all want to feel strong. Maybe you don't want like big muscles mm -hmm. and, and all that type of stuff, but you know, you want to feel good in your body. I think that's really what everyone wants uh, from a physical health standpoint, you know, so we look up diets and stretches and exercises and other activities. And this isn't a problem. This isn't a problem. No one's complaining about this. This is completely comfortable. This is a completely comfortable thing. We all talk about it, but therapy is that for your mind. You need to be in your body every day forever. And you're also going to have to be in your mind. So what would you say for someone who is on the fence? You know, like the common phrase now is everyone should be in therapy. I, though I love therapy and I think it's extremely useful. And I think we all probably have demons that we need to work on. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that every single person on earth needs to go to therapy. I think that's probably a bit heavy handed, right. but for those folks who have listened to this and are on the fence about whether or not they should try to do their own self-coping or they should, you know, reach out to have an introductory session just to figure out if maybe this is something that, that they should pursue. What, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah. I mean, no one's going to want to confront their fear, right? No one's going to want to say, I'm afraid of it. <clears throat> They're not going to admit that. So what I would say to people is. Why are you even having this thought? Like, why did you even tune into this podcast? Why did you pick up that self-help book? There's something about your life that your life could be great, but is there a part of you that wants your life to be better? Do you feel that your relationships aren't as meaningful as you would like them to be? And this sounds like a total like advertisement for like a treatment program. <laughs> no, but do you feel like oh, you're- 1-800. <laughs> Book a consultation with me. Uh, no, I think we have those relationships where when we're around those people, it's like, man, I just feel so like fulfilled when I'm with this person. Like this, like, but then there's those relationships where you're like, why do I feel like this every time I'm around these types of people or I'm around this type of person? I lately, I, my best friend and I, like we aren't getting along like we used to, or there's something happening, but... Like, it's not, I don't get that, like, 
true meaningful connection. I'm at work and work's great, but I'm frustrated. I'm procrastinating, things like that. If there's something about your life that isn't as enjoyable as it used to be, or maybe you just feel like you don't know who to talk to, reaching out to a therapist just to kind of like have a consultation, let them know what's going on. Even if you have to generalize or consult for a friend, like, hey, here's what's happening. Like, whenever I'm with my best friend or whenever with my sister, like, I just feel really tense and I don't know what that is, but like, it's been like that before. So there's nothing wrong, right? No, like reach out to somebody just to give them a general idea. You don't have to spill your guts in that consultation, but tell them I'm just not enjoying things like I used to. What are your thoughts on that? And then a therapist can ask you some more questions and then give you an idea of what's going on so that you can be like, oh my God, that totally makes sense. You know what? Let me at least have one session here and also like express your fears. Here's what I think happens in therapy. Can you just give me a better idea? I think that when I walk into your office, you're going to strap me down to a chair. I'm not going to be able to leave. And you're going to ask me all these questions, stick something on my head. And that's going to be it. No, it's not going to what's happened. I'm going to invite you in. The door is unlocked. If you feel you would like to leave, you can leave. But why don't we at least explore a little bit more about what's going on? Because maybe it's not what you think it is. Maybe it's something that they're going through that they haven't shared with you. Right. So. so give it some thought, folks. No point. Do a little do a little more digging and keep listening to our podcast because Absolutely. we are we are going to be going hard yes. on the topics of therapy. In our in our next episode, we are going to be going through the different types of therapy that yeah. you can expect to have. And maybe you'll hear one of those types and you'll be like, ooh. That right. one sounds delicious. I want to give that one a... That is my word to use when I describe something amazing. Delicious. Don't take my word. It's delicious. <laughs> I like therapy's tasty. Thanksgiving dinner. But let me add, let me add really quickly. A myth, <laughs> a myth of therapy is that you're going to fall in love with your therapist. That can happen. We'll explain later. However... Yeah. Therapist is not supposed to have sex or be in a relationship with their client, hopefully ever, but for two years at least. So yeah. if you are having sex with your therapist or hanging out with your therapist, not supposed to happen. So your therapist. Yeah, I'm going to have to cancel my therapy session <laughs> later today. Your therapist, <laughs> you should not have a no, because some people could describe it that, but your relationship with your therapist should not be scrumptiously delicious. Like, I want to yeah. eat it all up. Like, maybe that's how you want to describe it, but yeah, there should be maybe a- they want to eat you, and that's okay. <laughs> but don't eat them, let them give them a taste, and then wait two years before you taste. them. is that what you're saying? I can, I can, I can mm-hmm. allow her to enjoy me. You but can taste, you can taste your therapist in two years. Yes, if okay. your therapist is an MFT, not a social worker. Okay, cool. What if I just call her a social worker? We're not. I'm not encouraging. Know. I'm not encouraging sexual relationships with clients. Just for the yeah, record, we don't encourage sexual relationships at all. Put your but, put your genitals back where they were. But, but if you are, if you have engaged in any type of that relationship with your therapist. And you're wondering, oh my God, what's going to happen if it started two years after you last saw your therapist? Then you're okay. 
Yeah. However, we just otherwise you should get you should get a therapist to talk about your past relationship with your other therapist. And they Stack will them on top of each other. You should have multiple therapists. And they will hand you a pamphlet that says professional therapy never includes sex. So we will actually cover this more later on in the season, but just some tidbits of information. Little tidbitties. All right. Well, thank thank y'all for for listening. This was this was episode one, as I said, and this season is all about therapy and mm. what it's like and other things. So yeah, next episode we're going to talk about the different types of therapy, different types of therapy that Nick and I have done and other things so yeah nick do you want to tell people where to find you besides I'm, your home clients do not find me in my home you're already you're already in my home when you're on therapy with me but so you can find me personally at say no to kryptonite so that's with the number two kryptonite chase where can they find you you can find me i'm not really on the instagrams or anything anymore you can find me on the twitters and you can also find me in your dreams. Ooh. Love you all. <laughs> handsome man, ladies and gentlemen. So Yeah, I am a very handsome man. That's what my mom says. So does mine. Uh, oh my gosh. Moms are yeah. so great. It's so weird that both of our moms think we're handsome. Well, I think we can both agree that our moms aren't just the only ones telling us we're handsome. We're telling each other we're handsome. So Yeah, exactly. Double up. Uh, tell, call someone you know. And tell them they're handsome. And then, me, then laugh. And then <laughs> so, you're so, so handsome. Ha <laughs> click. So, and then maybe they'll need therapy and then come find me. There you go. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, who else? And our Instagram page, because we do have an Instagram page that who maybe, else podcast. I'll, maybe I'll be more responsible for upkeeping since you're not on the Instagrams anymore. Yeah, it's too much, it's too many thoughts. Right. So you make people trying to slide in my DMs or oh. my DSMs. With your four posts? <laughs> Shut up. I don't need this thing. Oh, I'm gonna, I, now I need therapy. <laughs> okay, guys. So the Instagram account, who else podcast? So this was amazing. It was our first episode. We look forward to hearing more of each other as well as maybe hearing more from you on our DMs as well as our feedback on our channels. Right. So, so have a fantastic day, everybody, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. <clears throat> Bye.